just can't take it Sometimes I just can't take it And it isn't alright I'm not gonna make it And I think my shoes are tight I'm like a broken record I'm like a broken record And I'm not playing right Just in a car by kill me Till you tell me when I have on the phone To hold tight Come on Come on Good to see you all. Good to see you all. For those of you who might be new, we're just going to give you a little orientation on what you're about to uh, experience. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about some amazing things today. Chris is going to be leading us through week four of what is Christianity really. So, Carissa, what is Christianity really? Well, this week we're talking about how it's a lifestyle of love. Yeah. So we'll talk about why love is essential, what it is, and what it looks like in our lives. Absolutely. I think if you were to ask Jesus, what is Christianity really? I think he might say, well, it's a lifestyle of love because he basically said that. So <laughs> that's going to be uh, our, the focus this morning. Then we have a segment called Wagar, What's Going On at Rancho? And Shri and I are going to talk about not only just the basics of uh, orienting you on all things Rancho, but to highlight our pumpkin patch and our pumpkin farm out there and the good cause that uh, that is going to uh, bring to specifically children who are sick. So uh, get ready for that. Then we've got music. We love our music. Yes, we are opening a song called What I See. It is super fun, upbeat songs, like call and response, so super yeah. participation. Uh, a ton of fun. And then we're closing with a song, no big deal, but the guy who wrote this song is the reason that I got into like melodic music. I just played drums Yes. and I heard this guy play in a coffee shop. And I was like, okay, I think I want to I do, that. do that. So well, that's cool. So we're closing with a song that is nice. written by him. So it's going to be And that welcome. song that we're closing with just nails the message today about Christianity being a lifestyle of love. So I say uh, we get started, shall let's we? Let's do it. All right, let's all, all right. stand together and enjoy. Two, one, two, three, hey. Come on, put your hands together like this. Do you see what I see?
series, What is Christianity Really? We're talking today, like we said, about uh, Christianity is a lifestyle of love. And so what we're seeking after, what we're looking for is the heart of God, to have our hearts align with the heart of God and the love that he has for others. And Stevie, I know just for three seconds of talking to you, for the first time ever meeting you, anybody would know that you have one of the biggest hearts for people. So what, is, what does it mean to you to have that heart of God for others? easy to have a, to know that God's worthy, we're here on a Sunday morning, but sometimes knowing that other people are worthy, 
Yes. People are work. Relationships are work. Yeah. But it's worth it work. That's right. God said that we're worthy. He's put his character in us and yeah. we can live like that. So people are worth it. He's worthy and yeah. we're worthy. We're his kids. That's right. I love that. I love that. And to, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good. To understand, like, you know, like, you have it in your, in your minds, you have it in your hearts, that God is worthy. But I love that, to understand, like, hey, no, people are worthy. People are worthy. We are worthy. And to be able to spread that love and see others how God sees us and how God sees others. So we're going to sing these two songs. These are back to back. The first song is called Heart of God. And it's just simply a prayer of saying, align our hearts with yours. Your mercy triumphs over judgment. Help our, help our minds to, to receive that as well, that mercy would triumph over judgment. And then we go straight into a song that's called Build My Life. And that's a declaration. When we get to the bridge of that song, it's a declaration that we will build our lives based off of that love, based off your heart. So let's sing this song together. This is Heart of God.
heart that aligns with yours, that we'd surrender ourselves to you, that we would see this world in love. And God, as we continue to worship you, we want to make this declaration that we will build our lives on this love, that we will continue to move forward in love. From the love that you have shown us, we will pour out to those around us. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this out. Just declaring to God, we will build our life on this land.
Good morning. How you doing? Now, uh, you were mentioning earlier, you feel uncomfortable on that side. I do. Alex always has me on that side. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it today. All right, good. Well, this Creatures is Cherie. Absolutely, we are. She runs the place, just like all of it. Uh, I'm Scott Treadway. I'm the lead pastor here, for those of you who are new. And this is called Wagar, What's Going On at Rancho. Rancho. And we love this. We do. We love it. Tell you a little bit about what's going on. Highlight some things. And so, if you are brand new for the first time, either here on-site or online, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. I know for some people, it's a little bit of a risk to show up for the first time, and yep. I'll hope you are warmly uh, welcomed and that you have a good time today for sure. Um, we would love to get to know you just a little bit, we and would. it's super easy. All you have to do is text us. Uh, text the word new to 951-379-3795, and uh, we will immediately send you a form, and you can take that to the Welcome Center outside and uh, receive a wonderful mug, either black or white, maybe today. Yeah, you get to take your pick, yeah. but I'm just going to tell you, these are amazing because yep. I'm kind of a cup snob, and we test them. Well, I know, exactly. And that's uh, a reminder, live free, do good. That's our kind of motto around here. And so if you're new, we'd love to meet you in that way. But we also have uh, an email We that do, we love. and I love email. Um, I, I know it's old school, it's but right. I get the info at Rancho. So if you guys have a question during the week, or you want to find something out, or honestly, you just want to say hi to us, I love it. That's right. Send me the email, info at rancho.tv. Very good. Any need, prayer request, yeah. any burden, anything, anything on that email at all, we'd love to get back to you. And you're fantastic at getting back to people and getting them where they need to go. Uh, also, uh, we just want to thank you for those of you who have decided to be a generosity partner. And what a generosity partner is here at Rancho is anybody who has given anything at any time to help fuel things around right, here, to right? help advance the cause of Christ. Exactly. So we're a nonprofit and a church. And so as has been the case for 2,000 years, uh, we operate by donations. It's just the way it, it, it's been. Jesus operated on donations yep. too, the generosity of friends and family to uh, bring the kingdom of heaven on earth, and we continue that today. So for those of you who have given and do give on a regular basis, just thank you. But there may be some people who haven't yet uh, chosen to become a generosity partner, and that is fantastic. That is. Grace-based church, whenever you're ready. <laughs> but we do want to invite you in this uh, holiday season as it approaches to maybe consider uh, becoming a generosity partner. And just start with one gift. doesn't matter uh, how big or small. Just start the habit of generosity, and it really does mean a lot. And there's an easy way to do that. Just go to rancho.tv slash giving. And uh, it's real simple, real easy to set up something, either one time or a recurring gift, which is how we give. Just every single month, it just happens, and it's pretty cool. Kirk and I finally did that. Yes. I was writing the checks <laughs> and still dropping them in the black boxes. I'm not going to lie. And uh, I finally switched to the online world, it's and it's easy. easy. Honestly, it just comes it. out, and it's done. 100%. Uh, also, let's talk about some pumpkins. This is up here for a reason, not just because it's officially fall. And you can tell. I mean, it's gotten down to about yes. 93 degrees out here, so <laughs> fall is, is here, right? Yeah, that's what we call fall, yes. <laughs> um, um, yes. Okay, so I love this. Yes. And I know I say that everything's my favorite. I feel like I say everything's <laughs> my favorite true. when I get up here. But I have a lot of favorites. But I, yes. I really do love our pumpkin season, and I'm just going to be honest with you. 
we have an amazing cause. And as we talk about generosity and so many people giving for good causes, I'm super proud to be a part of Rancho right. and the causes that we support. So this has an amazing story behind it. It does. So this is called Hunter's Harvest. And this is in remembrance of an incredible young man who tragically lost his life. And his heart was for the community farm. And all of these pumpkins come from the community farm. And his heart was also for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And so uh, mom and dad decided that every single dollar that comes from the sale of the pumpkins every single year would go to their son's favorite charity, St. Jude's Hospital. And so we want to encourage you, buy your pumpkins here because every penny goes to St. Jude's Children's Hospital to provide care for, for sick kids. And, um, you know, listen, Al Albertsons is great. Go buy your groceries there. But they're <laughs> going to take your pumpkin money and they're going to keep it. Yeah. <laughs> and we they don't, don't have as in. nice of pumpkins. No, these things are works of art. They're beautiful. There. They absolutely. I might are. have taken three. Uh, taken? I paid. No, okay. I paid. I paid. That's <laughs> gonna say security. <laughs> I did. I paid. <laughs> I just trouble. got mine early. <laughs> All right. So um, go out and pay for your pumpkins. There's a there's a retail price, but then give you more. can give more if you'd like. Just give more and and let's go help some children through St. Jude's Children's Hospital and really do something good. That's what we're all about here, right? Mercy, justice, love, live free, do good. Let's do good uh, this morning through that pumpkin harvest. Absolutely. And so that's why we're so proud to be a part of Rancho. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. And, and that's, that's what's, what's going, going on, on at Rancho. Rancho. All right. How you doing carrying furniture like that? You good know, job. a little workout. I know. For, it's good. It's paying off. For me this morning. At least I'm not out of breath. Sure. That's good. Hey, I'm pretty today proud of that. we're going to have this fantastic sermon on what is Christianity really, and you're going to talk about a lifestyle of love, but mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks, starting in November, we're starting a brand new series called? Holiday Survival Guide. That's right. <laughs> I, was, I was testing you. It's a holiday survival guide. Now, you know, a lot of families are, are complex, mine included. It takes some deft management of relationships. Yeah. Among other things. Yeah. Sometimes it's even in our own homes. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know about any of you, but I have had high expectations for what these memories and these milestones and these things are supposed to look like, and my family doesn't always cooperate. That's right. Well, how dare they, by the way? So there's managing of complex relationships, whether they're in your home or extended family and dinners and who does what and yeah. who goes where and expectations that yeah. may not be met. It's, it's complicated. We want to try to make this the, the best possible holiday season for you mm -hmm. using the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Yes. And so that's going to start in November, and that's for you and for those you know. Yeah. So who are your neighbors? Who are your friends and coworkers that might benefit from coming and being a part of this series with us? And after the service today, our friend Karina is going to be outside asking some questions about the holidays. We're going to use that to help promote and invite others to come and join us yeah. this series. So if she stops you, don't be camera shy. Okay. <laughs> or you can set your own boundaries too. I, I mean, you, you. But, you absolutely. But yeah, participate, right? But that series starts in November, mm -hmm. and uh, we're looking forward to that. And thank you, Chris. I appreciate yeah. it. Have fun. Thank you. All right. So I want to start by telling you a story this morning of a young pastor fresh out of seminary. Gets his very first job at a church in New York City that's growing and thriving. He's serving there as an associate pastor, and there's a community of artists there in the city that he's been asked to build relationships with and to minister to. One of those artists happens to work at the church at night as a janitor. Well, this brand new pastor strikes up a friendship with the janitor, 
And over time, as they have these fantastic conversations about deep things and the meaning of life, he discovers that he's not only a janitor, he's also an artist that loves to paint. And so this artist will stay up at night painting. He also discovered that this artist named Willie had just immigrated from Germany and had experienced World War II. And so as they navigate this new friendship, the artist says to this brand new pastor, this young pastor, I would like to paint you. Would you come over to my home and would you sit so that I can paint your portrait? And so the pastor says yes. And so the pastor is sitting there all awkwardly in the chair as this artist Willie is painting. And pretty quickly, the wife of the artist comes walking through the room and she gets this startled, horrific look on her face and she starts speaking to her husband in German. And the pastor doesn't understand a lot of German, but he can tell by the tone and the body language and the facial expression that the wife does not like what her husband is painting of this young pastor. Well, the artist wouldn't allow the young pastor to see the painting until it was finished. So a couple of weeks go by and the artist is finishing the painting and the young pastor comes over to his house and the artist shows him the painting. And the painting doesn't depict the pastor in real time. It's full of life and energy and love and compassion. He painted a portrait of the pastor that was sad and sick and lifeless. And when the pastor says to his friend, Willie, why did you, why did you paint me this way? When your wife walked in the room, what, what was that conversation? What's happening here? Is this really how you see me? And Willie said, no, this is not how I see you today. But you need to know that I understand what Christianity does to people. I saw what Christianity did to my pastor in World War II in Germany and what it did to my community. And if you continue down this path, all of the compassion and the mercy are gonna get sucked out of you. And I am afraid for you, my friend, that this is what you are going to look like when the love leaks out of your life. Can you imagine? Out of concern, this friend is saying to this pastor, you don't understand, you haven't seen what Christianity does to people. The young pastor's name is Eugene Peterson. You may know him as the author of the message paraphrase of the Bible. And we have a picture of Eugene with the painting that Willie painted for him. You see, Eugene kept the painting for over 55 years. Because this young pastor is hearing wisdom from this man. And so he kept it in a closet in his office and he would pull it out and he would look at it every once in a while as a, a gracious and firm warning of what we become without love. What it's possible even for those of us who, who want to follow the ways of Jesus, who want to believe all of the right things of Jesus, what's possible when the compassion and the mercy and the love leak out of our life. It's like the lights go out. 
And so as we continue in our series this morning, What is Christianity Really?, we're going to talk today about how it must be a lifestyle of love. It must be a lifestyle of love. Weeks one through three in the series, we've talked about how there are lots of different versions of Christianity and denominations. There are lots of different ways of expressing Christianity and believing and all of the things. And much of that is beautiful and rich and important. But what we're wanting to do in the series is distill it down into what are some of the core essentials. And so in the first few weeks, we've learned that it's believing and following Jesus. It's believing and following Jesus. It's trusting that God is saving the world through Jesus alone. And that we receive that by faith alone. And last week, we learned that it's a community of friends living in the love of God, expressing the love of God. And so today, as we look at Christianity as a lifestyle of love, we see from the story, we see from the painting, Willie shows us what it can look like when love is missing, when love ceases to be the main thing. Now, I don't know about you, but 23 years of following Jesus, started as a high school student, I've known from the beginning that I want to love. I want to be loved and I want to love those around me and I want to love well and I want to love better. But if I'm being transparent with you this morning, I am not very good at it. As much as I have worked at it, as much as I have learned, as much as I have acquired over the years, I still am not great at this thing called love. I am better at competing. I am better at uh, protecting. I am better at hiding. I am better at working either implicitly or explicitly to get my own way some of the time. This lifestyle of love that I think most of us are so eager to live into, to adopt into our lives, it's not easy. But it must be the main thing. And my hope and my prayer and what I see in the lives of the heroes of the faith that we follow is that it's worked into us over the course of a lifetime. Little by little, we become love. And, and I wonder if you can relate this morning. When you think about the relationships in your life, when you think about those that you are up close with, those that you live for a di from a distance, those that you are maybe in conflict with, those that you don't see eye to eye with, I wonder if sometimes you're like me and you struggle with what does this look like? And how do I live this out? And in one scenario, I think maybe I, I did well, and then another scenario comes up and it's, it's like I have to relearn how to love. And so this morning, we're gonna look to Jesus in the Gospels, and we're gonna ask some questions together. Why love? Why is it essential? What is it? And then what does it look like here in our lives, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families? Now, I don't have a willy in my life, but I did commission an artist and I asked them to paint a picture of me at the end of my life 
with all of the love leaked out. So show me a picture of critical, angry, judgmental, hopeless Carissa. This is what I got. And I don't think I'm putting that in a closet for the next 55 years. But I, I look at her and I have just this compassion. There's a heaviness there. Do you feel it? The light has gone out of her eyes. Now, I am a fan of the silver hair. I think I'm, I'm going to go with that. But there's a sense of when we get to the end of our lives, are we filled with love? Have we become love more and more? Or has it leaked out and been sucked out of us? Now, one of my favorite biographies I've read is Eugene Peterson's biography. He tells the story of Willie in his biography. But do you see his photo in, in, on the front of this book? His smile and his squinty eyes, he's in his 80s. There is still a sparkle in his eye. Somehow, he managed to hold on to love over the course of a lifetime. And I don't know about you, but for me, to see someone who's just normal, he was just a real person, just like you and me. He was a spouse, he was a parent, he was a friend, he was a leader, just a normal person who managed somehow to live a lifestyle of love. Not always, not perfectly, and I think it probably took him a lifetime to figure it out, but it can be done. And so, we're gonna look a little bit together today at what that might look like. This cannot be exhaustive. But I wanna start the conversation and I wanna leave us with some things that maybe we can be thinking as we leave and praying as we leave and maybe even implementing into our lives as we leave today. So why love? That's the first question, why? Well, Jesus makes love the main thing. Hard stop. Jesus makes love the main thing. A leader comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? If you had to sum all of the law and all of the commandments up, what is the most important one? And in Mark chapter 12, this is what Jesus says. He says, the most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is the main thing, this is it. We also know, many of us, that Jesus didn't stop there. He's telling us, I don't want you to just love your family and just love your neighbors. How about let's love our enemies? That was a tough one for people to hear. It's a tough one, I think, for us to read and integrate and understand in our lives. And then we have another moment in the Gospels where Jesus is saying to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. And so then he takes it even deeper and makes it even more challenging for us to live this out. He makes it the main thing. And so my question for us this morning is, if it's so clear, why is it so hard? Do you ever feel this way? 
Like, Jesus, I get it. It's the main thing. It's the most important thing. And so why is this so difficult? Why is it challenging to understand in a moment or in a relationship or in a situation what love actually looks like? And I don't know about you, but there are times when I think I know what love looks like and I find myself doing something different. What makes this so hard? Well, a couple of things came to mind this week as I was thinking through it. One is I don't think we can give what we haven't received. I don't think we can give away love if we haven't received love from God. You see, in the New Testament, it tells us we love because God first loved us. And so there's a a place where our faith, our trust in God and God's goodness towards us and God's care towards us and God's love towards us is really important if we want to live out a lifestyle of love. Week two, Scott did a fantastic job of talking about what it looks like to have a faith and a trust in the love and in the goodness and in the grace of God. And I wanna encourage you, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. That has to be the foundation that we build on. You see, if we're gonna attempt to work this lifestyle of love into our lives over the course of a lifetime, the foundation that we build upon has to be an increasing trust in the love of God towards us and for us, the care of God towards us and for us. Because you see, when I've noticed is that as I trust that God loves me and cares for me, I don't have to keep protecting and hiding and promoting and working on making my way happen to the same degree. There's a surrender and a safety that can take place. The second thing is, I don't know that we always understand what love is and how to integrate it into our lives, into our moments, into our situations. And so those are gonna be the second and third questions that we look to together today is, what is love? What actually is it? Because I think it gets a little bit misunderstood. And then, what does love look like here? That's the question that I would love for each of us to walk out of here today, or if you're watching and joining us online, for you to sit in your living room thinking through today, what does love look like here? So what is it? My absolute favorite definition comes from Dallas Willard, and it is ingrained in my brain that love is when we work and we will for the good of another. We work and we will for the good of another. Love seeks what is best. Okay, but why does that still feel slippery? (laughs) Like, how how do I know what is best all of the time? I don't always know what is best all the time. Have you ever had moments in your relationships or in your, uh, you know, friendships or with your coworkers or with your kids where you find yourself going, I really thought I was helping. Like, clearly you're upset with me right now, but my intentions were good. I I wanted to help. I wanted to fix. I wanted to to make things right. And and you realize somewhere along the way that whatever you were trying to do was not actually helpful. Have any of you ever experienced that before? I have two middle schoolers in my house right now. And what I am finding is that I know nothing. Nothing. My intelligence diminishes by about 20% every day. 
And a big part of that is that I'm realizing that I don't know how to love them well in this season. I am discovering it new every day. As these little people grow into teenagers and eventually young adults, what it looks like to love them doesn't always look the same. And I feel a little bit behind the curve a lot of the time. And so today we wanna look at what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter seven to give us some practical handles to hold on to when we're considering, okay, what is love and what does it look like here? So this is where we're gonna spend some time together this morning because Jesus was a brilliant, absolutely brilliant. This won't answer every question that we have about love or what love looks like here, but these have been some things that I learned from Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Conspiracy, several years ago that have just replayed in my mind over and over and over again. They were surprising to me when I read them. They were eye-opening to me when I read them. They have been corrective for me in places and spaces when I thought I was loving, but I really wasn't loving well. So we're gonna look together there this morning. So Jesus gave a really long sermon one day called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount paints a beautiful picture for us of what love looks like. We're not gonna look at the whole thing in the next 15 minutes, but we are gonna look at a couple of pieces that I hope will be helpful for all of us today. So the first thing that we see in Matthew chapter seven is Jesus is showing us that love does not condemn or blame. Love does not condemn or blame. In Matthew 7, 1, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. I can remember, this is probably about 10 years ago, uh, Claire and Landon were babies. Abby was not here yet. And I worked and saved to uh, surprise my husband Ryan with a trip to New York City. It was gonna be one of our first times away after having little ones, grandparents were gonna take care of the kids for us for about four nights. And one of my favorite things to do when I travel is to go into the bookstore at the airport because they always have some of the best books. And I picked up a book and read the whole thing on the flight to New York City. It was just fascinating. So a book that helped me to notice for the first time this idea of most of us have an inner critic in our mind that is constantly judging and criticizing all the time. Judging and criticizing us and judging and criticizing the people around us silently. Just do, 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 do. And I had known and had some awareness that my internal dialogue about myself up until that point in my life had not been loving and positive and kind. But I found myself thinking, I don't think I think those kinds of thoughts about other people very often. I think there was a gift, a very gracious gift, getting off the plane after having read the book and then walking into one of the most incredible cities in the world, all of a sudden it was like this light bulb went on and everywhere we, we went, I found myself silently, internally uh, comparing and judging and criticizing the people that I was seeing and do you know how embarrassing this is to admit to you right now? But it was really important awareness for me because we tend to think if it's just in my mind and I'm not actually saying out loud what I'm thinking about the people around me, that it doesn't really matter. 
But what we learn from Jesus and other places in the scripture is that the outside stuff matters, yes. But it's the stuff in our hearts, the stuff that's behind the scenes, it's the internal stuff that matters more. Why is that? It's because Jesus knew before science and psychology had picked up on it that our thoughts and our feelings matter that they cycle and they feed our actions and our behavior and our facial expressions and our body language and our attitudes. And so that began a journey for me that I'm still on today of learning to pay attention to even the internal dialogue that I have in my mind about myself and about others. And so some of you may be thinking, okay, Carissa, but we still have to correct people. Like, what about that? And I want, to, I want you to know that I hear you. That's just not what we're talking about today. So we want to distinguish those. So if you're a parent in the room going, okay, but I still have to correct my kids, or maybe you're a coach and you're thinking, well, I still have to like fix their swing or let them know what they did wrong. Uh, maybe you're a teacher and you're helping your kids understand calculus. Like, what am I supposed to do? I can't have to tell them that they did it wrong. So Jesus is not talking about loving and necessary correction. This is judging and condemning. It's, there's a comparison and a separation that happens. It's a, you are over here and I am over here kind of thing. What we want to think through is, am I separating myself from the person? Am I comparing? Is there a comparison happening here? Or am I identifying with them in what they're experiencing and what they're going through? Am I empathizing with them in what they're experiencing and they're going through? When we condemn, what we do is we assign worth and value to the other person, kind of like what Stevie was talking about this morning, which is why Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. What we wanna do is we want to become aware of when we are falling into some of these patterns. And so love does not judge, it does not condemn, it does not blame. And then Jesus tells us love does not force good things onto others. This one for me was the most surprising and eye-opening and helpful. You see, Jesus says in 7, 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, I have shared this with you before. There is a lot that I have read in the Bible over the years that the first few times I read it, I went, what in the world are we even talking about right now? This just makes no sense to me. And it has taken study and learning and reading commentaries and all the things to just start to figure out about this much. But one of the most helpful things from this book, Divine Conspiracy, is Dallas talks about how this would be an example of trying to force good things onto people. Have you ever experienced that before? Maybe you have in-laws. They're kind of notorious for this. First, they start by judging and comparing and blaming, and then out of that, you know, kind of measuring and comparing and separating, then they're trying to force good things on you, they're trying to advise, they're trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life. That's probably the most obvious example. I don't know what that's like. I have amazing in-laws and that's not a joke or sarcasm, I promise you. But I see it lived out in the lives of a lot of my friends. 
when we try to force good things onto other people, it doesn't go well. We often have great intentions. So it doesn't mean that the judging and the blaming and the condemning comes first. Sometimes it's, we think we know this will solve the problem. We think we can see their life so clearly and they're not able to see it. And so we're just trying to force or subtly manipulate or talk them into something that we know would be so good for them. What Jesus is pointing out here is that God values our autonomy so much that he gave us this gift of free will. And if God is not going to try to force even good things upon us, upon his kids, it's not gonna be good for us to try to force good things on those around us. Now that doesn't mean that we don't invite and that we don't share our own stories and that we don't you know, do all the things. I found myself at a Taylor Swift movie on Friday night. Not something that I ever would have done on my own, but I have friends who were like, Carissa, you have to come and you have to bring Claire. It's gonna be the most life-changing thing that you've ever experienced. And I'm like, okay, what do I wear? <laughs> Show me what era I'm supposed to be in. It was a lot of fun. There was no forcing of good things. There was no judging because I had to ask a lot of questions about things that were happening. There was just an enjoyment. So. What I noticed yesterday for the first time about this is I think it's possible, but I don't know for sure. I think it's possible that Jesus was connecting the two. When we start by judging and condemning and blaming, and then we move into trying to force good things onto other people, it doesn't go well. I think this is why he used the example of the dogs and the pigs. Not because Jesus would ever assign that to anyone, ever, but because it exaggerates when we judge, when we condemn, we assign worth and value to someone, and then we try to force good things upon them, that's kind of how we're treating them. And what happens when someone senses that we're doing that to them? Because people are smart. They know even if the words are not coming out of our mouths, they sense it in our tone, in our facial expression, in our body language, they know. That's why what we think about in our mind is so important. When those things are not there, when we are able to resist the temptation to judge and to condemn and to blame, and when we're able to resist the temptation to force all of our good plans and ideas and solutions onto others, what that does is it frees up the relationship to then be cooperative and reciprocal. My husband and I experienced this with his parents. They have not once ever given me the impression that they have judged or condemned me as a daughter-in-law or a mother. Although I am quite confident now, 16 years later, that there were things that I said and did that they probably didn't love or that they didn't agree with. But what they did was they loved unconditionally and they encouraged, and then they have been there every step of the way if I needed support or encouragement or wisdom along the way. Because that takes us to the last thing that Jesus is showing us, and that's that love means that we ask God and others for what we want. When we're able to resist judging, when we're able to resist trying to force our way and our will upon the people around us, it creates this freedom and this space for us to just simply ask. 
God, what does love look like here? Friend in this situation, kid in this situation, employee in this situation, how can I support you? What does it look like for me to love and encourage you and be here for you in the midst of this situation? Can we talk about what that looks like? This is where Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So this is the question that I want to train my mind to return to over and over and over again throughout the day. What does love look like here? You see, I think when we ask that question, it becomes a prayer where we're saying to God, God, I'm gonna take my will, my wants, my need to control, my need to manipulate, all that stuff that's going on in me, I'm gonna put it over here for a second. And I wanna ask you, what does love look like here? With my parents, with my spouse, with my friend, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of wanting to help carry a burden for someone that I love, when we pray that prayer, there's a surrender that helps us to kind of find our rightful, healthy place in the midst of the situation. And then asking God, what does it look like here? And then whoever we're in relationship with, we're able to ask them and trust that they can express to us what they need. My small group did this beautifully for me a couple of weeks ago. Before the sermon had even been written, our family is navigating something difficult and challenging. There is no clear path. There are no easy solutions or answers. We are stumbling and finding our way forward. And my small group met a couple Monday nights ago, and I knew it was time to share with them the situation that we're facing. And I could share because I knew and have learned over the years that there would be no judging no condemning, that it would be a safe place. They wouldn't judge my parenting. They wouldn't judge my choices. They would listen and empathize and love me in the midst of it. They didn't try to force good things upon me. They didn't try to solve the problem that's very complex and I don't have the answers for. But what they did do was they asked. At the end of the night, Chris, so we don't know what we can do. What can we do? What do you need right now? And we brainstormed through together just some very practical things that they are gonna be able to do to support me and our family in the midst of this. And the emotion is here because that is such a tremendous gift of love. And I am so grateful to have friendships and relationships in the midst of our community that will ask the question, what does love look like here? And so we're gonna close with a song together today. And Evan, this is not a worship song, but the lyrics are just like. Right on there. <laughs> oh, uh, tell what the main lyric, what is it? Uh, love is a verb. Love is it's a verb. A, yes, it's the name of the song. And it, basically I love, uh, even in the second verse, it says love, love's not a drug, mm -hmm. uh, despite what you've heard. Love's not a thing, mm -hmm. love's a verb. And it's, basically saying this is usually when you think of love you think of a feeling you think of an emotion you think of whatever but but this is this song is clearly stating hey 
this is action. Love is yeah. action. It's when you take action and show this. Yeah. So what we're gonna do for the next couple of minutes is we're gonna ask you just to stay seated and allow this to be a moment for some personal reflection and some prayer. And you might consider just thinking through a couple of questions. One is maybe where in our lives are we judging and condemning and we haven't realized it? And can be, this be a safe place with God, knowing that he's not judging and condemning us for doing the very thing that we're doing? And maybe another question would be, am, am I somewhere in my life or in my relationships trying to force good things onto people that they really don't want or need right now? And then the last question that we might consider together today is, what does love look like here? for being with us on a Sunday morning. It is always one of my friends are out there on the patio. Thank you for joining us and supporting a fantastic cause. If you need prayer this morning, we have someone over here that would love to pray for you. And if we haven't met yet, I'll be over here on this side. Please come and say hello.
Hilton 